0: We are in week two of a brand new message series, and I love it when our plans don't work out, but how many of you know that when our plans don't work out, oftentimes it's an indication that God had a better plan, and that if we'll just surrender our plan to his plan, uh, he'll work out all things for his good, who love him and are called according to your purpose. And you know you're here, you're called, right? You understand that. And I wanted to do, I like to do a message series leading up to Easter every year to help you and I prepare our hearts to, um, to encounter the reality of the resurrection life of Jesus. I think every Easter is an invitation to experience his resurrection life and power. And, um, but, but it didn't work out that way. We got into the, this relationship series called circles that we did, and it was just resonating so much. I felt God on that and, and some of your feedback and testimonies that we're hearing, I didn't want to move off that. So we did it. Um, but we started this message series last week called the author of life. And when I was thinking about this man, Jesus, I was thinking about all the different names that they've called Jesus in, in the Bible. And the one that really just hit me was when Paul said, or uh, Peter says, you killed the author of life, but God resurrected him and we are all witnesses of this. And so what we're doing in this message series is we're going through chronologically through the book of John. And I love the book of John. Uh, John was a lover of Jesus because he was beloved by Jesus. And this is is the crux of the Christian faith. It, It has to be a love relationship. It was never about religion, never about following rules. It was always about falling in love with the person of Jesus. And last week we started with there's seven signs that point to Jesus being the Messiah in the book of John. And so we're gonna go through each one of those miracles in chronological order through the next six weeks. And so I'm excited to bring you the second installment. Last week, we saw the very first miracle of Jesus where he turned water into wine. And I really, I never really thought about it before. And as I was preparing that message, it really hit me how much Jesus cares about the details of our life. That he chose for the very first miracle for him to do, not something spectacular, not raising somebody back to life, not healing somebody of leprosy, not unstopping deaf ears or opening blind eyes um, or giving an amazing sermon or multiplying fish and bread, but he chose to multiply wine and to keep the party going. How many of you were here for that message last week? I hope it encouraged you. I hope it stirred up your faith. But but today, what I love about the book of John, and, and I want to read to you in John, the the end, the end cap, the bow that John ties on to the end of his book. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says this. He says, but these were written, all the miracles, all the signs, all the account of Jesus' life. You understand that everywhere Jesus went, he brought life with him. Every word he spoke, he spoke life. Every person he touched, he brought life to you. He changed their story. And he can change your story, too, if you'll allow him full control and surrender your life to Jesus and trust him with your life. He'll do some amazing things. But John says, but these were written that you may what? You may believe. So I hope hope this message series stirs up your faith to believe. And actually, that word believe, it doesn't mean just believe one time. Like at one time I believed Jesus. One time I raised my hand at the end of a service and I accepted him as Lord and Savior in my life. No, it's, it means that you continue right. believing. Faith is active. So I got a question for you this morning. Where's your faith? Is it alive? Is it active? If it's not, by the end of this message, I believe it will be. But these were written that you may continue believing that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing, listen to this, that by believing, you may have life in his name. How many of you can use some more of the life of Jesus? See, John's original intent was for us to encounter more and more of the life of Jesus. Jesus would save himself in John 10.10. I have come that they may have life, and not just any life, that they would have it to the full. And I want that full life for me, and I want that for you. But one of the things that I want to remind us of, that the Word of God is alive and active, and we don't, we're not just reading a historical text about what Jesus did in the past, because every testimony has and contains within itself the power to do it again. Yes. And I say, do it again, Lord. Yes. Every time that we read the account of one of the miracles of Jesus, I say, do it again. And that's the, th- that's the power of a testimony. And that's the power of what we're going to read today. As each week builds upon the next, turning water into wine was pretty cool, wasn't it? But that's just the beginning. And each week we're going to learn a little bit more about the miracle working power of this man, Jesus. So today I want us to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. In fact, I want to do this because... This message, how many of you know as a pastor, one of the things I love about preaching is the message gets in me before it gets in you. Like I'm, I'm all week, I'm marinating on this word and it's brewing in me. It's like a crock pot dinner. It's like, you know, it's just, it's just brewing in me. It's stirring in me and it's getting better as time goes on. <laughs> and, uh, and as I was stewing on this, marinating in this word, I was just so, um, I, was, I was struck by the power of the word of God. And I think just like we're about to read, Jesus would say in one of his opening statements that we're about to read that uh, a prophet doesn't have honor in his own hometown. And he made that statement because when he would go to his hometown, uh, he wouldn't see many miracles. Now, I don't believe that was because Jesus ran out of miracles somehow. Right, Like, sorry, guys, man, I'm, I'm all out of miracles today. Let me see. No, no, I got nothing for you. No, he was full of the life-giving power to do miracles, but their miracles were contingent upon their faith. He brings the power to do the miracles. We bring our faith. So where's your faith this morning? I hope you brought your faith with you today because I believe that God wants to shift some things in your life and my life and in the life of our church and in the life of this valley and in the life of this, this country. But it's going to take our faith and our belief in Jesus to make it happen. But sometimes we could get, just like the people of Nazareth, we could get so familiar with and comfortable with doing this. And we could get so familiar with the word of God that we forget the life-giving power of the word of God. The power to change our life. The power to transform us, the power to shift atmospheres, to shift our attitudes. Right? There's so much power in the Word of God, and so here's what here's my ask of you: Could we stand for the reading of the Word of God today in honor of the power of the life-giving Word of God? I'm reading to you out of John chapter four, verses 43 through 54. The title of this passage is Jesus heals an official son. Jesus heals an official son. Verse 43. And after two days, he left Galilee, left for Galilee. And now Jesus himself pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. And once more, he visited Jesus come and visit us once more once more he visited cana in galilee where he had turned the wine into water the water into wine and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at capernaum and when the man heard that jesus had arrived in galilee from judea he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death And Jesus said, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. And here's the four words that just struck me in the very core of my being. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that men and women have literally shed their blood to get this word in our hands because they believed it has the power to change our life. I pray today that your word would come alive inside of us I pray that you would resurrect dead words that are lying dormant as seeds inside of our souls, that you would water it by the power of your Holy Spirit and make them come to life today, that you would remove any hindrances in the way of your word coming alive. I pray that you would anoint me to preach your word. Let it not just be word, let it be the power to change us today. Let us, help us, God, not to be the same, to leave here the same as we came in but to be transformed by the power of your word in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated, thank you. Title of my message to you this morning is Life-Changing Words. Life-Changing Words. This man's son was literally, his life was hanging in the balance. And what blows me away about this miracle. This is, mind you, this is the very first healing miracle that Jesus does, and there would be many more to come. But this is the very first one. And I think it's interesting that for the very first miracle of healing that Jesus does, he doesn't go and physically lay hands on the boy and and heal him. He speaks four words that have the life-giving power to break this fever, break this sickness, break a disease, and bring this boy back to full health and bring him back to life. Now, um, I don't know how many of you remember. I'm going to take us back on a little bit of a trip for a lot of us this morning. How many of you remember science projects in school? How many of you remember science fairs? How fun they were? I remember coming in, you know, you, you get your partner and you got your... Uh, paper mache volcano and you're just trying to help God help me to get it in there without it falling apart before I get it on the table and I get to set up my little science fair project and um, what made me think of that is, is when my son LJ was in elementary school he had this, uh, this project this science fair project he did but, but even before that I, I, th- I thought you know science fair projects they're kind of funny they're kind of goofy And I know for myself, when I was in grade school, trying to do a couple of science fair projects, I never got the blue ribbon. Everybody said, oh, and that explains a lot, right? Um, I know today everybody's a winner, but back in my day, you only got a blue ribbon if you came in first place. Just saying. but my value isn't in the blue ribbon. That's a message for another day. But I was Googling science fair projects gone wrong. If you really wanna get a little bit of a kick out, just go home and, and Google that. Um, but as I was looking through some of the science fair projects gone wrong, I came across this one. Um, this, somebody did this science fair, this is their project. How much turmoil does the science project cause families? Now some of you parents, you're saying, yes. Amen, right about I love this. This is a really brilliant girl. Um, look at, she said, my materials is at least one kid, uh, p- possibly two, your partner, at least one grudging parent, right? <laughs> and a half-baked idea, a very dubious merit. I love that. And then, of course... You gotta have a lot of procrastination because if you're not up past midnight the night before it's due, you know, something isn't quite right. But I love this, here's the results. A lot of yelling, a lot of crying, plus a lot of time. Uh, 75% of kids cry, 90% of parents yell, and an average of 15 hours of family time sacrificed. And here's the hypothesis, here's the findings. Everyone hates the science fair. Thank you, Susan. She cracked the code, right? Susan, where have you been? <laughs> but I was remembering to when my kids were young and my wife would stay up past midnight, <laughs> helping them out, <laughs> you know, as I said, my wife. And, but I remember a, a science fair project that my son did that I think I'll never forget. It was really cool because it reminded me as I was studying about the power of our words, what he did, and some of you might've heard of this, He did this experiment where he took two glass ball container jars, the clear ones, and he cooked some white rice, and he put rice in both containers, but then he would put um, tape hate words on one of the jars and life words on another one of the jars. So one of them, in fact, there's a picture of it, it looks something like this. But here's the crazy part. Every day, in fact, our whole family got involved with this, we'd pick up the the hate jar and we would speak speak words of hate. You're ugly. You you can't do it. (laughs) I don't know, you know, just whatever. (laughs) You'll never amount to anything. (laughs) You know, all this stuff. I hate you. You're ugly. All these words. And then we would go over and we'd pick up the life jar and we'd speak words of life. You're beautiful. You are loved. You're amazing. All these words over. And over the course of about 30 days, you'd get to about day 15. And one thing that would start to become clear is the rice in the hate jar started to get all gnarly, black, green mold growing on it. And it would just look all nasty and stuff like that. But the love jar stayed pure white. The same way it went in and it it reminded me of the power of words. When I read this account of Jesus and the second sign in the book of John and the miracle that Jesus did, the first miracle of healing that that we have in the book of John recorded, it blew me away that the the, the miracle came from long distance. In fact, it was about 20 miles, uh, Capernaum is about 20 miles from Canaan and, and This young boy didn't even hear Jesus speak the words, your son will live, but all of a sudden, the power of the words in that moment, the exact moment that Jesus spoke the words, life was infused in this boy. He had a fever, maybe had a fever of 103. I don't know, I think there was a song about that or something um, back in the day. But, But I could just picture this boy laying on a bed and the servants are surrounding him and they think he's dying and his fever, they got a towel on his head, he's just sweating bullets and his fever is like 103.2 and Jesus speaks the word, your son will live and the moment that he speaks that word, even though he's 20 miles away, I could just see all of a sudden his fever starts going down from 103.2 to 102.9 to 102.5 to 102.0 to 101.7 to 101.7 1.3 to 100 to 98.7 and all of a sudden he gets up and says hey I'm hungry can we go to five guys and burgers and fries (laughs) from death to life through the power of four spoken words and I just want to remind us that when we read the Word of God, you, know, you understand that there's two words for the Word in the Bible. One of them is logos. It is the, literally the written Word of God. It's when we read the Bible, it's the logos. You're reading the logos. But there's another word, and this is the one that I really I feel impressed to talk about a little bit today. It's the Rama word. It's, it means the spoken word in season. It means a, a word that is alive to you in the moment. It is an inspirational word. And what I love about the logos and the rhema is they're not incongruent. In fact, they work together. While I'm preaching to you the logos, God is speaking to you the rhema. While you're reading in your own devotional time, the logos, God can jump off the pages and the word can come alive to you and activate something in your spirit that was dead, but now comes alive. Come on, I feel faith in the room this morning that God wants to take some things that you thought were dead and remind you they're not dead. They're like a seed that is dormant that when you start to believe them again in faith and faith is gonna stir up inside of you that those words are gonna come alive and those words have power. They have power. Your son will live. I I remember, it reminds me, um, not many of you would know this, but I've struggled off and on in my life with anxiety. In fact, at one point, I would get panic attacks. And I would have these moments where I would just get overcome with anxiety. Or, and, and my heart would start racing. I would start sweating. And there would be times, like, even in the middle of the night, I would, I would jump out of bed and, like, literally run out the front door and have to sit on the porch and catch my breath. And um, I remember distinctly one time, this was one of the first times that happened. I went for a, a jog. And I came back, and, and you know how it is. You exercise, and, and as guys, we always push ourselves more than we probably should. And I hadn't, I hadn't run in a while, and I probably pushed myself a little bit more than I should. And I got back from that run, and, you know, I'm trying to catch my breath, and it's hard to catch my breath. And five minutes goes by, and I notice like, my heart is, like, beating, like, so fast that it started to freak me out, and so I'm I'm starting to take my pulse, and man, my heartbeat is just racing. But when I went to take my pulse, what I noticed is my heart would race real fast, and then all of a sudden it would skip a beat and, and start real slow, like boom, and then speed up again. And it freaked me out so bad. In fact, in that moment, what I believed happened is that I opened myself, because of fear, I opened a door to the enemy in my soul, And he came in like a flood with anxiety and fear with him. And I became so stressed out and fearful that I I thought I was going to die. And that's the way you feel when you're going through something like that. You actually think you're going to die, even though um, my heart was literally uh, had heart palpitations. That was real. But even after that, when my heart normalized, it, it, it was so in my head that I couldn't shake it. I couldn't sleep at night. I could barely eat. I had to go to the doctor and try to figure this out. But I remember uh, being so freaked out, and, and my wife, who loves me so much, on point, on cue, and um, she called up our pastors at the time, uh, Charles and Carol Kinney. And she, she said, she told them what was going on. She asked me, can I tell them what's going on? I said, yeah, you can tell them. And, and we told them, and they, she said, I just want you to ask you guys if you would pray. Pray for us, and he said, "Well, I don't want to just pray. I want to. I want. To, can we come over? I want. I want to talk to Lance and, so, and pray with you guys in person." And she said, "Oh, that would that would be great." And so I'll never forget this moment because one of one of the fears that I had inside of me was I was afraid that my kids would grow up and not know their father. That somehow I would die. And my kids would grow up and not know their dad. And one of my dreams was to be a father. And so I was so freaked out about this. And they came and they sat down on the couch. And I'll never forget this. Charles looked me, he said, so what's going on? I kind of told him some things. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, you're not going to die. You're going to live. And you're going to live to see your kids grow up. And you're going to live to see your wife get old. And he just started speaking these words of life over me. And all of a sudden, something broke inside of me. I started crying because the words that he was speaking, I believe that he was speaking the words from God. The words that had the power to break the fear and the anxiety and and the, the panic attacks that I was experiencing. And it reminded me of the power of the word of God. And I want to remind us of the power of the Word of God. In fact, I've got a couple of scriptures that I want to share with you to remind you of the power of the Word of God. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, I I wanted you to hear John chapter 6, verse 63. This is Jesus speaking of himself. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and they are full of what? Life. Now check this out. Isaiah or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 in the message. Listen to this. God means what he says. He means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense. I love that. Whether doubt or defense, cutting through everything, he lays us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one can resist God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. And now, check this one out in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Verse 11. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. That's the power of the word of God. And I love that. Do you know that the very first miracle in the Bible is four words? Just like Jesus spoke four words, your son will live. And a creative miracle happened. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, these are the first recorded words of God, and these are the fir- this is the first miracle recorded in the Bible. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now I love, um, Mark Batterson has a great paraphrase for this. I want to read it to you. When God said, let there be light, he said, let there be electromagnetic radiation with varying wavelengths traveling at 106,282 miles per second. Let there be radio waves, microwaves, and x-rays. Let there be photosynthesis and fiber optics. Let there be LASIK surgery, satellite communication, and suntans. Oh, and let there be rainbows and rainstorms. Let there be light. These are God's first recorded words. This is God's first recorded miracle. Light is the source of all vision. Without it, we can't see anything. Light is the key to technology. It is how we talk to somebody halfway around the world without so much of a second's delay. Why? Because light can circle the globe seven and a half times a second. Light is the first link in the food chain. No photosynthesis, no food. Light is the basis of health. The absence of light, and we know this all too well in Montana, causes anything, everything from vitamin D deficiency to depression. Light is the origin of all energy. In Einstein's equation E equals MC squared, energy E is defined as mass, M times the speed of light, C squared. The speed of light is the constant. And light is the measuring stick for space and time. A meter is defined as the distance traveled by light in a vacuum during the time interval of 1,299,792,458,000 of a second. Light is the alpha and omega of everything, and that includes you. And check this out. This is probably my favorite part. Uh, Embryonologists, they study embryos they took fluorescent microscope at the moment of conception when a sperm hits the egg. And what they found is at the moment of conception when the sperm hits the egg, over a billion zinc molecules are released and guess what they produce? Light. The very first miracle of creation when God said there, be, let, let there be light, is the same miracle at conception let there be light and light appeared. Come on, can we just take a moment and give Jesus praise? So I'm here to remind us today that all it takes is power, one word of God that has the power to change your life and ultimately change your story. But if we're going to have God change our life with a life-giving word, you need to be in the right position. I was thinking about All the times that God spoke a word that changed my life, I was in the right place at the right time to receive the right word in due season. And this man positioned himself to be in the right place at the right time to to receive a life-giving word of God. So I want to tell you to start off, prayer positions you to hear a life-changing word from God. When I thought about this scenario, now we don't have Jesus physically with us, His presence is here and is real. And I don't know about you, but I I sense his tangible presence with us this morning as we're worshiping him and gathering around his word. But here's, here's the coolest thing. We can go to him and go into his presence in prayer. He may not be physically here, but we can go to him in prayer. And so I believe when I read this story, I see this as a beautiful picture of prayer and how this man positioned himself for a miracle. And for a word that changed his life forever. So, I have four postures that I believe there were four words that were spoken by Jesus. And when I read this story, uh, the Holy Spirit impressed upon me that there were four postures that this man took to position himself to see the power of the word change his life. And I believe we need to posture ourselves in the same way. The first one is this He postured himself in humility, he postured himself in humility. Humility positioned him to ask for help. Now, I started thinking that, you know, for many of us, we try to do life, if we're going to be honest with each other, for the most part, we do life on our own. We're, we're the king of our own castle. And we handle day-to-day problems with the amount of wisdom that we have, understanding that we have. And yet... Oftentimes, it takes a big problem, or I'll say it like this, what started as a little problem that we couldn't take care of turns into a big problem. And for most of us, we don't want problems in our life, right? We want problem-free life. Welcome to America. We want problem-free life, but every problem is an invitation to prayer, and every prayer is an invitation to a miracle. I'm going to say that again. Some of you need to get that in your spirit. Every problem is an invitation for prayer, and every prayer is an invitation for a miracle. But you have to actually have enough humility to recognize that you need help. It never ceases to amaze me. We'll be in a service like this. God is moving powerfully. We'll come to the end, and we have an amazing prayer team up here. By the way, we hear hear testimonies all the time of, of, of them praying with people like you and getting a word from God that can change you. Healing happens. Man, there's so much stuff that happens when we come for prayer. But how many times do we not come forward? Why? Because we got too much pride. When you think about it, the essence of prayer is recognizing I've got a problem, and I can't fix it on my own. It says I am dependent on you, God, not myself, to try to fix it, figure it out, change it, change me change my circumstances. I have no power to do that, but I know the one who does, but it doesn't help me if I don't pray. Just like in basketball, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Think about how many miracles you're missing out on because of how many prayers go left unspoken. And how many many of you are sitting here right now and you've got a problem? And here's the thing. I could imagine that this official, okay, now check this out. In verse 49, it says the royal official. Here's what you got to understand about this story. You have to understand the backstory, or you won't get this point as well. This official was a royal official of the Roman army. Rome had come in and occupied Israel. They were bitter enemies to the people of God, to Israel, to the Jewish people. And this guy was a high-ranking official. Like he probably served... Right under Herod. He had servants, he had money, he was royalty, and he was over them. Jesus was actually subject to him. And yet, this man makes himself subject to Jesus by coming to him and saying, Look what he says. Look at how he postures himself in humility. He doesn't come and say, Hey, you, you're coming with me. You're going to heal my son, which he could have done. He had the authority and the right to do that, being that he was over Jesus and over the Jews. And he doesn't, he gets low and he says, sir. He calls him sir. He doesn't have to do that, but he humbles himself and makes himself low and asks him if he would come down before his child dies. And I wonder how many of us think about this for a minute. The boy probably started out with a little cold. Maybe he had a slight fever. The problem didn't start out as a big problem. It started out as a little problem. But he could have come to Jesus when it was still a little problem, and maybe he never would have been on his deathbed to begin with. How many of us, because we don't come to Jesus in humility when our problems are little, our problems become big, and we wait to come to Jesus when we're in a crisis instead of when we could have come to him when the problem was too small was still small, right? I wonder how many times God would have given you wisdom to avoid that bad relationship. God could have spoken a word to you not to take that job. God could have reminded you that those friends that you're hanging out with, they're only leading you down a bad path, but you didn't do that. You waited till the problem was too big and ugly and out of your control. And then we come to Jesus as a last resort instead of our first response. How many how many problems could we avoid if we come to Jesus as our first response instead of our last resort? Pray first. But prayer is the greatest act of humility. Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, "If now here here's a condition. This is a condition. We love to quote this, but it's a condition. Hear it. If my people will do what? Humble themselves and pray and seek My face and turn from their wicked ways." Here it is. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Peter would say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. Man, and and this official comes to Jesus. He humbles himself, and Jesus, what? He lifts up his son in the right time and speaks four words of life. And I wonder how many of us, if we would just humble ourselves and come to Jesus, Posture ourselves in a place of humility so that we can get God's help. The second thing is this, proximity. He postured himself close enough to Jesus to be able to hear the life-giving word of Jesus. See, proximity positioned him to hear the word. Now, I lo- prayer is wonderful. And if I'm gonna be honest with you, at times in my life I've struggled with prayer. I think you know, we, we think we have to pray a certain way, and we have to be a certain way. But prayer it is supposed to be not just a monologue of us telling God everything we need him to do for us. And, and, and that's wonderful. There's a part of prayer where we, we give God our request, our petition. We petition God. And that's a part of prayer. But I think too many of us, we miss out and we could just uh, look to prayer as a monologue instead of a dialogue. Yeah. Prayer was always meant to be a dialogue. It was meant to be, I I talk to God, but then I have to get close enough. See, this is what I love about Jesus. It's all about relationship. Prayer is getting close enough to Jesus. And John knew something about this. John called himself the beloved. He knew he was loved. Listen, you can't hear Jesus' heartbeat if you never lay your head on his chest. And John at the Last Supper laid his head on... On the chest of Jesus, the Bible says. John was close enough to Jesus to know his heart. And, and this is why a lot of us don't come to Jesus in prayer is because just like the steward who said to Jesus that I, I, didn't, I, I buried the talent that you gave me. And Jesus, in the story, it's, it's meant to be Jesus, but, the, but the, um, the man, the rich man said, you wicked servant. And he said, I buried it because I knew you were a hard man and you reap where you don't sow. And in the story, God tells him, who told you I'm a hard man? Like you missed it. If you only knew my heart, you would come to me. You would get close to me. And and when you get close enough to, listen, um, there's a story in the Old Testament, one of my favorites about hearing the voice of God. It's when Elijah is in a dark place. He's fallen into depression. He's in a cave. It's dark. He puts his cloak up over his head. In a cave, you get voices that echo around. He's listening to the wrong voices, just like some of us right now. You're in a a dark season. You feel like you're in a cave. You don't know where God is, and you're hearing voices that are not from God, and it's sinking you into deep depression. And I love that God doesn't leave Elijah there, just like he doesn't leave you there and me there, but he calls Elijah in the middle of the cave, and he tells him to come out to the mouth of the cave. And this is what he does. He comes out, and it says there was a fire, there was an earthquake, and there was a wind. But God wasn't in the spectacular. He was in the whisper. It said, and then came a gentle whisper. And he says, Elijah. I wonder how many of you today, God is whispering in your spirit right now, What are you doing here? And I don't mean here. I mean, where's your spirit? Where's your faith? How far have you gotten from God? See, if we're going to hear the life changing power of the Word of God, you got to get close and you got to get calm. You got to drown out all the competing voices. The word, uh, the Hebrew word for whisper, check this out. It's the word damava. Say that three times fast. It can be translated silence, stillness, or calmness. So you got to get to a place where you drown out TikTok and social media and all the, all the, all the voices that are competing for the voice. That has the power to change your life. See, God speaks the loudest when we're the quietest. You got to get into a place, and you got to find that place. You got to make room and space to get close to Jesus. The reason some of us aren't hearing God speak to us isn't because God isn't speaking. You understand that, right? You understand something. If you understand frequency, you understand that right now, there are radio waves all around us. And you can't hear them, but if you tune in to a certain, um, a certain station, 93.4 for example, if you tune into that, you'll hear what's playing on the radio. Some of you are not hearing the voice of God because you're not dialed in. You're not tuned in because you're not close enough to God. See, it starts with the relationship. This man had to get close enough to Jesus. What we don't understand is there were crowds that would follow Jesus and surround Jesus. And there, it was in the middle of marketplaces and it was loud. And so I bet that this man had to get right up in Jesus' business, right up in his face. Sir, come. My son is about to die. He had to get close. See, in order to hear a whisper, you got to get up to somebody's mouth. you got to put your ear up. I mean, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but some of you, you haven't got, heard God speak in a long time, and God says, if you would just get close to me. Draw near to me, and he'll do what? Here's the promise. I'll draw near to you. Come on, Henry Nouwen said this. Silence, listen to this, so cool. Silence is an act of war against the competing voices within and if we would just get silent, get close to Jesus, and calm down to hear his voice, the power of his words could change your life. The third one is this. This man had to posture himself in a position of faith. A position of faith. This, honestly, is one of the greatest tests of faith. Because look what Jesus said. Faith positioned him not to just hear the word. That was proximity. But we, how many of you know you can hear a word from God but in order to activate that word, we have to act on it. Faith positioned him to act on the word. See, this is what we got to understand about faith faith isn't just mental assent, it isn't just we, we could believe in the Bible and the word of God. Can I tell you something that James told us? Even the demons believe it isn't about believing it's what you do with what you believe are you actually acting on what you say you believe and i believe this is the greatest problem with the church today we have too many believers that come to church and say yes and amen read their bibles and say yes and amen and say we believe the word of god but we're not doing anything with it and james would say it like this faith without action is dead it's not alive it's not real faith and i'm here not to like discourage you not to condemn you but i'm here to try to wake up your faith this morning i'm trying to activate your faith i'm trying to get some of you to believe the word of god that you're not here to just say amen but you're here to actually do what the word of god says look at what jesus says to the 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 man he doesn't say believe he says go And this is the best part. He says, go, your son will live. But look at the next word. Look at what it says. Go back to that. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. How many of you are waiting on a miracle just by taking Jesus at his word? James 2, 17, the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied with action, it's dead. The last thing is this, that we need persistence. This man postured himself in a place of persistence. Now, how many of you know that sometimes we can pray and the miracle comes right away the first time? but sometimes it takes more than once. Sometimes you have to walk around Jericho seven times for the walls to fall. Naaman had to dip in the water seven times, seven times to get his healing. It reminds me of the prophet Elijah when there was a drought for several years and he went up onto the top of of the mount and he decided he was gonna pray and he took his servant And it says, Elijah bent down and earnestly prayed. I mean, this is like, this is out of the depths of your spirit prayers. And you would think the man of God, Elijah, the same God that that he called fire down from heaven on the sacrifice. This is is the man we're talking about. You would think that his prayer, the first time, (laughs) would work. But the Bible says he prayed, blue sky, Nothing happening. He looks to his servant. His servant's like, praise again, earnestly, praise. Second time, nothing. Third time. Sorry, nothing. Nothing. Nothing's happening. Fourth time. Fifth time. Sixth time. Now here's the point where I think where most of us would probably give up. See, most of us pursue God to our point of inconvenience. And then we just, oh, I guess it wasn't meant to be. I guess it wasn't God's will. But I wonder how many times God tests our faith by not giving us what we ask for right away, but that if we keep on seeking, keep on believing, see persistence positioned him to see it come to pass. Do you know that this man, this was not an easy trip. This was two miles on foot And uh, Capernaum is, uh, because I I was actually able to be there, is 700 miles below sea level. That means this man had to walk two miles uphill. (laughs) In that way, prayer feels like sometimes it's like I'm praying uphill. But but the reality is that every time that I'm praying, it's like my prayer is hitting a hammer hitting on a rock and I'm hitting on a rock, and I'm hitting on a rock, or I'm digging a well, and I'm digging, and I'm digging, and no water, dirt, rock, dirt, rock, dirt, rock, until that moment, on the seventh time, it says, Elijah prayed, and then check this out. He looked to his servant, and his servant says, you know what? I think I see the a cloud the size of a man's hand coming up over the sea, he didn't feel rain. All he saw was the beginning of a miracle. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Persistence will position you to see it come to pass. Do you know that word come and it came to pass is in the Bible 452 times. What does that tell you about persistence? Jesus himself would say in Matthew chapter seven, verse seven in the Amplified, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and what? Keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives and he who keeps seeking finds and he who keeps knocking, the door will be opened. I want to close with this because uh, I was asking God, how do you want to, how do you want to activate this? And then He brought me to verse 46. Once more, Jesus visited Cana, and it reminded me why did He go back to the place of His first miracle? And I wondered. If it wasn't to remind them that as they walked past the stone pots that Jesus had wine taken the water and turned it into wine, if it didn't remind them about a practice in the Old Testament that God would command the Jewish people to do, which is that every time God did a miracle to help them remember the faithfulness of God, they would put out memorial stones. They would build a memorial with stones. And the Bible says that every time you pass by the stones, I want you to remind your sons and their sons and your daughters of the faithfulness of God. And how I did miracles in your life, and and then it hit me. (laughs) He went back to Cana to remind them that when we forget the faithfulness of God, it's easy to lose our faith. I don't know how many of you here today and you forgot the things that God has done in the past in your life. But I'm telling you, when you begin to remember the faithfulness of God, it stirs up your faith for God to do something now. Do it again, God. Do it again, once again, once again, once again, once again, do it again, God.